Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. The only striper that I have mounted, caught it in the springtime, hooked this thing. It takes me 60, 70 yards into my backing. Like, it's just cruising. And then at one point, the fish just stays right below the boat. <laughs> I fought for five hours. No way. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm dead serious. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. What about setup and, and rig, mm-hmm. like boat rig, but also your, your the tackle that you're using, the yeah. fly and... and you know, sinking line, how much, how far, how fast. For sure. What kind of leader, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, anybody, like, wanting to learn how to do this, I would definitely recommend um, the uh, Striper on the Fly book uh, from... Written by Dan Roberts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Written by me. Wrote it today. <laughs> by my book. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, it's uh, Henry Cowan. There we go. Henry Holy Cowan. cow. I was going to say Pat Cohen. That's not right. Henry Cowan. <laughs> Uh, he's like the guru okay. of of landlocked striper fishing. He's been doing it forever. And the cool thing about him, uh, from what I understand, he came from the saltwater side. Oh, really? As well as the conventional, like, crossover. Okay. So he's done it all. Um, he lives over in Georgia. He fishes the, like, Lake Lanier. Is basically, he's been guiding for, like, I don't know, 40 years, whatever. Okay. But gotcha. he's really, like, the first guy who's put out a book detailing how to do it he's the guy he's the guy okay for sure um so from that perspective like you take a lot from what he says in the book and obviously he just came out with it like two years ago or whatever um but initial setup for it um you're looking at somewhere between like an eight and a ten weight sinking line this is kind of one of the things that he covers quite a bit but you need to have several different fly rods rigged up because okay. you don't know if it's going to be a floating line day. Um, because quite honestly, like if they're on top, that's pretty much all you need yeah. is a floating line. Like okay. it can be simple if you hit them on the right day, and that's it's just pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the hard part is timing. Exactly hit, hitting them on the right day. Yeah, yeah. So from like a wider perspective, the three like series of lines that you should consider having with you really at any time is a floating line, a full intermediate line. So basically a full sinking line that goes like one and a half to two inches per second. Okay. Um, so slow sinking and then a fast sinking fly line. So I use the the scientific anglers, um, the triple density series. Okay. So, and again, they make a lot of different, um, I guess, sink rates with that series. Mm-hmm. I like throwing the intermediate sink three sink Five or the intermediate sink three, uh, sink six. Okay. Those are kind of, <clears throat> that's kind of the way to go um, with most of those. If they get really deep, like if you're having to fish them where the fish are like almost 40 feet deep, which is very difficult in itself, they also make a three, five, seven. So it essentially, again, it's 
it's tapered with three different sync rates. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, from a line perspective, like that's kind of what I cruise around with. Okay, gotcha. Um, so you've got, you've got a couple rigs ready to go yeah. depending on the day and, and yep. the situation. But like if you're only want if you're kind of just wanting to like dip your toe in it, like just go get an I three five or okay. an I three six. Okay. With which is the intermediate. So that's an part. intermediate sync three, sync five or right. six, either one of them. McClellan's has all these. Go buy things from McClellan. <laughs> yeah. um, so from a line perspective, that's basically what you need. Um, a line weight perspective, like I say, you can throw it anywhere from an eight weight to a ten weight. An yeah. eight weight will get you by until you get into a big fish, and then you'll wish you had a ten weight. Okay. So I like a nine weight rod is a weird size. There's not a lot of people that that throw nine weights. Uh, it's kind of like seven weights. Like people just don't do it. Yeah. But nine weight is a great rod because you get kind of the finesse of an eight weight and the the lightweight aspect of an eight weight. Because um, you know you're hauling it around all day long. Yeah. You really need to take the weight of the fly rod into an account. Yeah. Um, when you're kind of choosing what you want there. It's a lot of muscle and. You're going to be fatigued. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, you're literally throwing a tungsten rope around all day long. Yeah. Um, and not catching a whole lot of anything. So you cast a lot. <laughs> you cast a whole lot. Um, so that's kind of the the setup from that perspective. Uh, leader and tippet. This is another one that, like, I don't know. Like, I get into the weeds on this stuff when it comes to tippet at least, like line size. I'll throw... If I think they're being really finicky, I'll go down to eight pound form sometimes. Okay. Which makes it tough. Obviously, if they get around any trees, like they're going to break you off yeah, every time. But um, typically, I'll throw 10 pound or 12 pound fluorocarbon. Some guys, like when the fish are happy, like you can throw 20 pound form. I don't care what anybody says. If Also, if you're in a little bit dirtier water, like you can really up your line size you there. Get away with it. But the, the safest thing to go with is a 10 or a 12 pound okay. leader. And you sometimes go down to eight just because you feel like they can be that spooky. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you have to also take into account that when you're throwing um, like a swim fly of some kind, trying to imitate a shad, your line size is really going to dictate how that fly works through the water. Mm. So like if you upsize to 20-pound test, when you're stripping that fly, it's going to stay um, a lot more rigid yeah. overall. Mm. So it's just going to go like kind of just forward through the water. It's like pulling it with a stick. It's exactly right. Versus yeah. a, a fishing line. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. like you cruise down to eight pound, first of all, sinks faster. Lower diameter, mm-hmm. you're going to get down a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, more like invisible, if you want to call it yeah, that. Sure. Like it's invisible line. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I mean, just working the, the fly overall, like it'll dart a lot more um, because we're typically throwing – really more aerodynamic flies and a lot smaller flies. So it's not things that have like a big deer head on it or something that'll create its own action. That's why the, the like tippet size comes into, um, to play a lot more with this stuff. Yeah. Those shad flies are interesting because it's, you know, a big number two hook or whatever. Yeah. And then it's really thin Mm -hmm. and not a lot of feather or whatever the material is to make the different colors. And then a couple of, you know, a couple eyes glued on it. You look at it and you're like, there, it doesn't, that doesn't look like a fly that I'm used to seeing. Especially, yeah. you know, you see the guys who go for the big brown trout with the shad on top and whatever. Absolutely, and it's these huge tons of stuff yeah. all over it type fly. Yep. And then you go for some of the biggest fish in the lake, and it's just this little dinky thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is really funny. Like I, the amount of fishermen that I encounter 
that are like, oh, what are you fishing for? I'm like, I'm fly fishing for stripers. And they see the fly and they're like, how are you going to catch it with that? You know, I mean, because it's truly like in the coldest part of the winter when those shad are really, really small, we'll throw like, we'll throw inch, inch and a half flies. Like I'm talking about, small like flies. we're looking for a hook that's strong enough that's like large or like small enough to where you can tie a one inch fly. Wow. Like some little EP stuff. So, mm-hmm. Again, getting back to like the tying your own flies thing, yeah. Like you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to discourage people from getting out there and trying to fly fish for stripers because it can be relatively easy, and that's why I put a couple patterns out there that I know work relatively well. But I mean, like in my box, when I'm out there doing it for you know like most of the winter, I've got essentially the same pattern in like four or five different sizes. Okay. And when I say sizes, I just truly mean lengths. Um, so like I'll have one inch flies, well, inch and a half, two inch, two and a half, three inch. I mean, it you get really into the weeds on it. Yeah. Um, but you're, you've got everything you need. Oh yeah. At least, at least the confidence you feel like you have everything. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then like by the grace of God, you end up catching a fish. Yeah. <laughs> you just hope that they spit up shad. Mm. That's like your golden opportunity. Right there. To see what they're eating exactly. on the, side, the right size? Yep. Oh, okay. Exactly. So, like, I can't tell you how many, like, dead, half-decomposed shad I've brought home and, like, put <laughs> on my tying table and be like, all right, All this right. is what we need. Let's tie it. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, so that's a huge aspect of it is, like, not only, like, the fly itself and the colors for it, but, like, the size of the shad because there's so many different sizes of shad in the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it can be easy, but you can get really like, <laughs> don't be like me. Don't, don't get into the, as far into the weeds as I am. Well, uh, yeah. it's pro- go ahead. Go well, ahead. Well, I, I want to hear about the patterns that you've put out there before we do that. One, one final line question. Um, do you have a tapered leader? Is that super needed? Or are you, are you taking the, taking the saltwater approach of like, nah, just throw eight feet of, you know, the eight pound line. On no. So this is another one that I'm sure everybody has their own opinion because everybody does. When it comes to a sinking line, you know, you got about half the people out there that are like, Oh, you need like four feet of 20 pound or whatever. I've not really found that that's the case, mm-hmm. at least when you're like chasing stripers specifically. So I'll throw like a nine or a 10 foot tapered leader. Okay. Um, so that's what I like to do most of the time. Like, I won't just throw a single diameter, like, mm-hmm. eight-foot piece of tippet. First of all, because, like, that would be impossible to cast. Most mm-hmm. of the time when you encounter, like, your sinking line fishermen, it is traditionally, like, it's musky fishermen, it's uh, river smallmouth fishermen, yep. and it's trout fishermen. Yeah. And so in most of those scenarios, um, it's the same kind of deal. Like, you're running a swim fly of some kind that's got its own action, um, it's a lot of fish that might not be as spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other deal is when it comes to stripers, like they're chasing shad in, you know, there's 9 million of them that they're looking at there. Yeah. They're not wanting to chase the one that's going a hundred miles an hour back to the boat. Yeah. So a lot of times like, yeah, you're throwing a sinking line, but you need that like eight to 10 feet of invisible, like <laughs> tippet or leader that's, sitting down there against the fly because sometimes you know again henry talks about this in his book but he calls it the countdown method you'll throw it out there and you'll count to like 10 or 15 or 20 and a lot of times that's when those fish will come by and pick it up i mean just a 
just a slow sink in the water. Really? Yeah. Just on the drop? Not touching it. Like throwing it as far as you can and then not touching it for, you know, upwards of a minute. So wow. either trying to get down to where the fish are yeah. if they're deep or if there's specific fish, if they're really, really lazy, again, like late winter or something like that, you just throw it out there and let it sit. And sometimes they'll just come and grab it. Yeah. And that looks like just the sinking, dying, the dying shad, shad, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's exactly the, right. The one out of nine million that's just kind of dropping. Because <laughs> they sit. That's his time. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. It's going to get eight. Because they sit under those shad piles. Mm-hmm. You know, so you think about it from a striper's perspective. It's just like, all right, like, let's see which one of them's going to come down here. So hmm. you let it sink for a period of time, and then you start stripping it. Gotcha. So, so how important then is it? This is going to kind of like blend the what we were talking about earlier about like the conventional side of things with the mm-hmm. fly, like how important is it to, you gotta, you gotta have a live scope. You gotta be in like a bass boat, you know, like that kind of setup. Yeah. Is that like super important or. So coming from someone who's owned now three different, like I would even say like classes of boats, if you want to call it that, um, coming from like a 16 foot war Eagle with a 25, uh, Yamaha two stroke on it. Like did it for many years with that boat. Um, you can absolutely do with that. It's not, you know, where it really limits you from that perspective is how far you can go around on the lake. Okay. So when it comes to the boat that you're choosing, you almost want to decide, like, how much am I going to be fishing? Because if I only have one day a week to try to go find these fish, you might have to span half the lake Mm. to go find them. Yeah. You know, so if that's the case, like, you need a big boat, big motor, just because you need a lot of gas and yeah. you want to be going relatively quickly. You got to cover a lot of ground. Yeah. But if you're like me, like like I was a college kid, senior year, I was taking like six hours. And <laughs> one of them, you know, was like public health or something like that. One of them was yoga, I they think. make you walk in a circle. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I went to campus for more than like three hours a week. Yeah. Like I fished a lot. So for that boat, for me, like it was perfect because I had the fish relatively dialed in. I went to my places and it was perfect because like you just need a floating thing to be able to catch a striper. Yeah. Like you don't have to have some kind of $80,000 boat or whatever. Yeah. But that's my advice with it. It's like if you know you're going to have one day to do it, um, it's better to have a faster boat with, I guess, a wider range of uh, mm. traveling with it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I guess that's my perspective on it. Hello, Ozark Podcast listeners. My name is Chris Hinkle, and I'm co-owner at True North Realty Group. Having sold over 20,000 acres in property across Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Kansas, proves I'm willing to go the extra mile to sell or help you purchase the right farm. Here at True North, the relationship goes well beyond the sale, and I consult with clients on a daily basis on how to improve their property. It truly makes a difference to have a land specialist that understands things like easements, timber values, access, and property layouts. We also have a team of agents dedicated to residential sales in Arkansas and Missouri. So whatever your real estate needs are, we have you covered here at True North Realty Group. You can reach me at 620-215-0033. Again, Chris Hinkle at 620-215-0033. Let me go to work for you. Can you wade fish for striper? No. Well, straight uh, up. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Um, Unless you're out at Martha's Vineyard I guess, and it's in the salt. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you have yeah, so many different surf not. fishermen up there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess, what do you mean by wade fishing? Like in a river or? I, I, like, let's just talk the Ozarks. Okay. What we have, the lakes that we have here where the striper are. Yeah. Are there scenarios where, because we talked about they're coming up into the river arm. Yes. And there are places where you can stand on the bank and absolutely you could wade fish. Yep. Is that a is that a reasonable way to think that like I'm gonna go out there and do this and and I could catch something? Totally. Okay. Yeah. It's more of like a like a by chance situation. Okay. And it's only during the spring, so like basically cut out half your opportunities to okay. catch them. Yeah. So if you're gonna try to do it on foot, um, that being said, like there are creek arms as well that especially in the like springtime or in the winter when the um, water's drawn way down in the lakes. They expose a lot of just like bare pebble rock. You can walk along the banks um, because in both of those seasons, the fish will push up on the bank at some point. Like mm. they'll get shad into the backs of creeks arms and um, they'll push those schools of shad up on the bank or close to the bank. So from that perspective, like your your backdrop is going to be really difficult to cast around because yeah. you're typically going down. You know, if you know the Ozarks, like you're just going straight downhill. Yeah. Um. But you got you can, trees all around. Yeah, you. but you could totally do it for sure. Okay. Like, like one spot that you can do that is Prairie Creek, like mm. the Prairie Creek, um, the left arm of Prairie Creek. There's okay. a little parking area over there. You can totally do it over there. Yeah. Um. That's a good spot. Have you seen people be successful with that? Not fly fishing. I've okay. literally never seen someone like fly fish from the bank up in that area. Okay. But like throwing big glide baits and throwing top waters and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. Seen it happen for sure. Gotcha. But from a fly fishing perspective, you're way better off doing it in the spring, mm -hmm. like up around twin bridges and stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So wade fishing. <laughs> that being said, I was on the beaver tail water one day. I'll never forget this. I was wading across... Just happy as a clam going to catch my trout. Yeah. And this 30-pound, 40-pound striper comes barreling through my legs. No way. Like right in between my legs as I'm just cruising across early in the morning, almost all the way up by the dam. It's the only one I've ever seen there, but it was just like, all right, so that's in here. Okay. <laughs> right. I've seen somebody, not in person, but somebody I knew, I don't even remember who it was, catch striper right below the dam. Oh, yeah. yeah. It and, happens you know, they, for sure. All their pictures are floating around yeah. Facebook and people are all pumped for them. But oh, yeah. I don't know how they do it. But that's yeah. another great example of like Table Rock does not have stripers. Like, okay. I don't want to reiterate that. Like they do not stock stripers in Table Rock. Um, but they come over the dam and they like cruise through the White River chain or whatever, mm. you know, they like they make their way up. They yeah. find their way to like get up. Man. It's an incredible fish. It really is. Like how much distance that fish will travel. Uh, again, because it's a saltwater fish, you yeah. know they're, you know, you take them out of a, a hundreds of miles perspective and put them into a lake system where, you know, like it might, you know, a hundred miles maybe something mm -hmm. like that, but like even greatly or like a whole lot smaller than that. Yeah. So you take a fish that's used to just never stopping, just the open ocean. Or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cool fish. It for is. Sure. So let, let's talk about playing the fish. You talked about it a little bit there, kind of, you know, a countdown of a drop and stuff yeah. like that. But playing the fish, hooking the fish, yeah. what is that like? I can't imagine catching a 20-pound fish on an eight-weight fly rod yeah. and that just ripping drag, like, through your hands. and It's, um, I'll tell you, like, all right, so we'll just kind of start from beginning to end, I guess. Um, let's say you have the topwater fish. So 
first of all, it's like a violent flush. Like, I don't care if you're throwing a topwater fly or a subsurface fly, which I typically only throw subsurface, but, like, you know, you're 60 feet away from a fish that's on either a small group of shad or one shad, and he's, like, just flush in the water. Mm -hmm. Is it usually a long cast? You said 60 feet. Like, is it usually you're casting so way out So, that's there? the funny thing. Like, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Okay. Like, I've caught some big ones that, you know... It was a 20, 30-foot cast. But I would tell you overall, like, for your greatest chances of success, most of your fish, at least up on top, are going to be a long ways away from you. Okay. So, like, I would tell you on average, I'm making a, you know, a 60 to 90-foot cast, yeah. like, most of the time. Okay. Um, so you really got to have a double haul. Oh, yeah. You got to, like, hum it out there. Now, it helps a lot having the sinking line because that really carries a lot of the, the extra distance for you. So it's not as difficult as you might think. It You could pick it up pretty quick. Okay. Do you manage your line just on the boat deck? Line management is like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's kind of like tarpon fishing or whatever. Yep. Like That's the whole thing. Um, you can put your feet up there. <laughs> I was going to it. Our feet were kind of close. I'm going to touch your feet. I pulled anyway, it back. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So uh, line management is crucial. Uh, uh -huh. It's so important. So stripping basket or just a clear boat deck. Like you got to have one or the other. 100%. I like I typically take the stripping basket route just because if it's windy or something like that. Again, it's sinking line. So if you're stripping that line and you're not paying attention to it, it's going into the water. Like you might have 60 feet of fly line that's 60 feet deep. Mm, so yeah. <laughs> again, like it's just a hassle like trying to pull it out of the water. So yeah. your best approach is to always have some kind of stripping basket. Um so you make the cast like right up around where the fish goes that being said like if you're if you're within the immediate seconds of a fish coming up like to eat shad um you can put that cast right directly down into the circle where he came up and a lot of times they're still hanging out right there as long as they're not coming up and going right back down which they do a lot and they'll see that fly like you what i typically do is i'll let it sit there for one or two seconds and then it's a slow long strip so, again, slow shad gets eaten first, always. Mm. Uh, a lot of people will just, like, jam that thing. I mean, they're cruising with the fly as fast as they can back to the boat. That is the wrong approach to have. So what I like to do is just long, slow strip so that I'm always maintaining contact with my fly. Mm -hmm. That's a huge aspect of it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Because of the way the fish inhales the fly. Again, we were talking about using small flies. Yeah. Yeah, so they don't, like side swipe it and just like nibble on it like they inhale the fly all the way into the back of their mouth gotcha. typically yeah it's not a sip yeah and so the eat is really weird like you for at least like most of the fish that i catch you don't feel this great like like holy cow there he is like you almost feel this like softness in your line and then all of a sudden you feel like you're hung like it just stops mm. and you know you've got him and at that point he knows he's hooked and that's when the line management thing comes into perspective. Do you strip set pretty hard? Yeah. Then? So okay. it's not like or is it already. It's not the Andy in. Mill like ah, like yeah. strip set thing. <laughs> it's not the tarpon deal. Um, so it's just you just keep stripping, and that like most. I don't want to because again I don't really know, but I would say like most good saltwater guides will tell you, like it's not like it is in the freaking movies. Like, you know, like, like I got it. Right, unless you're doing what you're doing. Unless it's a big one. Yeah, mm -hmm. you just keep stripping. Like, just maintaining contact with the line. And, like, then you just come tight with it. 
And at that point, like, you just got to be ready. Because when they make that initial turn, like, that's when you can break off most of your fish. Because okay. on the initial turn. So, like, you just, like, you just let them start rolling. Like, mm-hmm. you try to, um, you know, you start cruising up with your rod, like, you know, at a reasonable fighting angle or whatever. And then you just start letting your line, like, cruise through your your rod guides. Yeah. And that's when, like, you just have to hope that you don't have any knots in your line. You're not hooked around the trolling motor. Any of it. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> like, that fish is going one direction, and, like, he's not going to stop for you, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially if you're using the the smaller line, like, 8 or 10 pound or whatever. Like, that fish is cruising. Yeah. Um, so clearing the line out of the stripping basket, once you get that, like, Man, I tell you, like, as long as you're not around trees and stuff, like, eight times out of ten, you're probably going to land that fish. Really? Yeah. That seems high to me. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I'd even go as far as to say, like, seven out of ten, maybe. Okay. Um, Still, that seems pretty good. Like, the largest causes of losing these fish are typically, like, that initial hook set because so many people with, like, streamer trout and things like that, they're used to, like, you know, you you really like put the stick on them and then you hold on to it for a minute. Like, and you try to control that fish. It's that way with musky fishing too. So like you get a musky fisherman and like, obviously those guys are really experienced in advance. So like they would know what to do, but it's not like that at all. Like you hook the fish and you let them run. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, the first time when you can break them off. The second time is again, like if you know you're around trees, they cruise right down to them and put you in them. So at that point, once you have your line cleared, it's incredibly important to first adjust your drag, like adjust it to where it needs to be like pretty tight, but not super tight. And then use your trolling motors, just start heading to the deepest water you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, Get away from any kind of yeah. obstacle. So you- if you like, if you hook them next to the bank and you know there's trees, like put your trolling motor on 10 and just start right into the middle of the creek. <laughs> yeah. Like okay. just try to get away from them. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, because even when you hook them out in the middle, it's incredible how, like, the spatial awareness that those fish have. You'll hook them out in the middle of 140 feet of water. They'll go straight to the bank because really? they know that that's where the trees are. Yeah, they're going it's, straight for cover. They know Absolutely. Gotcha. It's unbelievable. Like, they won't just head out of the creek arm or whatever. They'll just right to the bank, like, nine times out of ten. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, and then, like, the danger zone, I wouldn't necessarily call it the danger zone, but, like, when you should really start considering things is when you um, get into your backing. Like, most of the time, I tell you, if you hook a fish, especially, like, towards the end of your cast, like, you're going to be in your backing. Mm -hmm. From my experience with it, you should really never be more than, like, man, like, 50, 60, 70 feet into your backing. Like, it'll happen with big fish. Now, that's outside of, like, you're catching a 20, 30-pounder. Like, they're just going to cruise, and you just have to fight them for a while. Yeah. But with the smaller, like, you know, 8 to 15-pound fish, like, you know, 50, 60 feet out into your backing, and, like, you should have control of that fish and, like, really start hammering them. Yeah. Um, Because you fight it just like a saltwater fish. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the guys on the deep sea fishing, and they're like, you know, they're using the back technique. Like, you reel down, you lift up. It's the same same basic principle. Like, yeah, it, sure. it is a saltwater fish. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Are you ever chasing, like, 
are you ever chasing the fish? Say you know it's a big one, right? Yeah. Like this thing is just gonna tug. Yeah. Are you ever having to just actually go after him and, and I've done it a few times, yeah. And you literally just have to chase the fish around. Yeah. Like if you know you're starting to run low on backing or whatever, like absolutely. Yeah. You just start chasing the fish. Oh man. Yeah. I can't even imagine so cool. <laughs> what yeah. that would be like to have one on the end of the line. So I honestly I don't even like telling the story because most people are like, wow, what an idiot. But <laughs> um But here we go. The the striper, the only striper that I have mounted, and it's because like it was basically like dead by the time I landed it. Um caught it in the springtime. It's like same deal. April, like fish was up on the bank, he was happy chasing schools of shed, mm-hmm. hooked this thing, and it's just like er- gone Mm -hmm. it takes me you know like 60 70 yards into my backing like it's just cruising so start chasing it chase it all the way out of the creek arm um and then at one point the fish just stays right below the boat uh so i'd already got most of my fly line back the but the fish once you get at a certain angle with a striper like you cannot do anything with it you're not picking them up yeah exactly you can't because it's like a big brick sitting in the water (laughs) like you can't just pick up the weight of the fish so if he doesn't want to come up he's not and that's basically it um uh, the one that i've mounted i fought for five hours no (laughs) i'm I'm dead serious oh my god like i said i don't even like telling people because they're like what an idiot i could have landed that in 10 minutes (laughs) i'm telling you like i've caught hundreds of these things and i don't know what was special about this fish but it got to the point where I was like, we got to go home. Like, I'm done with this. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. It was like, I think my buddy was going to Little Rock. Oh, that was the worst part. So my friend was with, with me who had never caught a striper, and I was like, I was on him. Yeah. I was like, you're going to catch one tomorrow, yeah. guaranteed. So I fought one fish for five hours. Dude. <laughs> and he was like, whatever, man, it's super cool. So uh, he, like, didn't even get to fish no, pretty so much? No, he didn't even get to fish. <laughs> oh, dang it. <clears throat> so... When it finally came down to it, I was like, I'm done with this. So reeled up my rod, basically pointed it down straight into the water. The Half the rod was in the water, cranked the drag all the way down, and I just pulled the rod <laughs> directly up. No way. So like no bend in the rod at all. I just yeah, like just, just slowly, tuck. like real slowly and carefully just pulled it up. And the stupid fish just like <laughs> starts coming on up. And he wasn't dead. Like, it wasn't dead. It wasn't like he had died or anything like yeah. that. Like, I got it up to the surface, and he was like, and I netted him, and he was fine. But, like, like at I that point. like, I should have done that a lot sooner. Yeah, maybe. exactly. So, at that point, I was like, what an idiot. Like, God. Uh, but, yeah, so we landed the fish. Oh, and it was raining the entire time. Oh, that was just, like, it was such a brutal day. That's tough. Um, that makes it even better. So, that's, like. That's my old man in the sea story. Gotcha. That's my white whale. There you go. Very. I know that's different, but you know it is different. But it is very old man in the sea. Yeah. Like the fish that just took forever. Exactly. To get in the boat. That's yeah. amazing. And then by the time he gets it home, the sharks have taken it. That's your friend. Yeah. He's like get this thing out of the boat. Exactly. And so you, that's so you mounted fishing. it. Yeah, I mounted that one. That's the only one that it was. Uh, was like twenty. That was the other funny thing. wasn't that big. No, that one was. That one was like twenty five pounds. That's big by by my standards. So <laughs> the big. funny thing was, <laughs> how, um, how big did they get? Oh man, the like, I think the state records like seventy pounds or something. Oh shoot! Oh yeah, they're huge. Oh my gosh! Yeah, your average striper, um, at least with Beaver Lake, because we don't have a lot of what we call schoolie stripers, mm-hmm. which are like the five to seven pounder okay. stuff like that. Yeah. 
So our average fish out there is like somewhere between 10 and 17 pounds. Like that's the fish you're going to encounter most of the time. Um, The hardest fighting fish in the lake, in my opinion, like for the most part is, is that like teener fish, that like 15 pound fish. They'll take you all over the world. Really? They fight so freaking hard. Yeah. Gosh. Just but young, it was young and mean. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it was funny with that fish because I had it mounted and like basically, I don't know, a year later or whatever, I went and picked it up, like brought it back home, looked awesome. It was great. The next day I went down to Little Rock and fished with my dad. We went to Lake Hamilton and striped for fish. And I caught a like a 35 pounder. No way. On a six weight. What? Yeah. So it was just like. <laughs> How long did you fight that one for? That one was like 10 minutes. Yeah, not five hours. Oh yeah. my gosh. And he like ran into a weed line and everything was like in the weeds. It was an absolute whale. Oh my goodness. Like it's, I think it's still the biggest one I've ever caught. I was going to ask what's 35. <clears> that one. And then um, like two, it was two or three years ago. I caught one in October in Prairie Creek. That was, I think that one was like 33 pounds. Okay. Jeez, man. So like huge. That's as much as you want. Yeah. With most of those. Um, and I've lost some that are probably bigger, but who knows? Next time you're chasing squirrels or plinking cans at the deer cabin, do it with the new Umarex Emerge. This 22 caliber break barrel air rifle might just be the coolest small game rifle I've ever used. With no CO2 air canister and an innovative 12 round multi-shot magazine, you're not fumbling around for a pellet when it's time to shoot. It's silent as a whisper with a grown man design, and it comes with a scope, so I was hitting pie plates at 100 yards straight out of the box. Did I mention Umarex is right here in Arkansas? Come on now, stop what you're doing, head on over to Umarex USA using our link in the show notes, and use the discount code BHA2023 for 25% off your next order. Now that's a deal. So we've covered what is a striper, where and when to go, depth, line, tactics, fighting, all of that. Before we're done, I want to make sh- I want to hear about the fly pattern. Okay, that you, that yeah. You've that you've invented, but you say you don't. Yeah, <laughs> that you have. And then I also people want to don't know, invent flies; there, they just change it. Is there anything we've missed? And if not, what's what are a few pieces of gear other than maybe the, the right boat and the fish finder and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, or the stripping basket that you look at and go like, no, you need that for striper fishing. Yeah. So at least like on that topic. Uh, like, there's. I would like to stress that. Like, there's not a lot that you need. Okay. It's really that's, not. That's good. Like, good to hear. Yeah. Like, large rod, which most people have. Like, mm-hmm. most people have an eight-weight rod, which is fine. Sinking line, mm-hmm. you're looking at 100 bucks. Like, don't cheap out on the sinking line. I can't stress that enough. Don't, like, spend the money, get a good one. Yeah. Spend 100 bucks, spend 125 bucks, whatever. Um, sinking line, some... Bait fish flies mm-hmm. doesn't have to be like mine, but I would love it. <laughs> love the royalties. But we'll tell you uh, what the name is and where to buy exactly. it. Um, and then, yeah, like just some type of line management that you are comfortable with. So like for me, it's a stripping basket, but it doesn't have to be. Like clear boat deck, that's fine. Um, and your stripping basket, you sent me like a PowerPoint thing, so yeah, I, yeah. I looked through it. Your stripping basket is like a laundry it's basket. It's a lawn right? basket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the guys who are like, that's talk about another thing we get into the weeds on is stripping <laughs> baskets because um, space has always been a huge factor for me in my boats that I've had. So I've never really had the ability to like have the fully expanded like big giant fiberglass um, 
or like PVC stripping basket. Mm-hmm. And the stupid things are like, are like 200 bucks. Yeah. Which again, like if you're looking at it from a, like, I kind of want to try this perspective, yeah. just go on Amazon or go to Home Depot, whatever, like find you a lawn basket that you like mm-hmm. and buy it. And that's basically all you need. Like yeah. I buy collapsible ones. Like I have a very specific one that I like to use. Um, and that's basically it. I have little, huh, so what I call like line management spikes in there. Like okay. most stripping baskets have those. Yeah. But what mine are is like inch and a half wide um, nozzles for like a sausage maker. So oh. like if you have deer sausage <laughs> yeah, and like you're like stuffer? casing it. Yeah. 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 So, and I just, obviously you don't cut the like tip off of it or whatever. And they're made of plastic. They're not sharp. Like you cut a inch and a half hole or two inch hole and you just jam them up there and silicone it. There you go. So like it's <laughs> yeah. Just whatever works. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. DIY project yeah. with Dan. Yeah. That's man. I thought about starting a YouTube the other day. I was yeah. like, uh, I really thought about it the other like a year ago, basically when I was working on my trolling motor. Yeah. I had it completely taken apart because I was changing. I'd broken the steering collar on it. Okay. Which I don't know how much you know about the Minn Kota Tarovas and the steering collar, but like you have to dismantle the entire trolling motor. And like, I'm the type of person that I'm not taking it to a dealership. I'm like, <laughs> You're going to do it I'm going to do it myself. Like I found a video on YouTube and I was like, I can do that. <laughs> and sure enough, like I had the thing taken apart on my boat for like three days. But, you know, I fixed it hey, and man. it was what it was. But yeah, those type of scenarios, I'm just like, maybe I should like start a YouTube channel. Yeah, like, dude. Here's some random things you don't know. <laughs> Why not, man? I was listening, I was watching some youtube thing the other night and it was these guys it's like they just make videos and you know after a while they pile up and it's like it continues to get views and yeah you look back it's like <laughs> 10 years from yeah. now it's like that video has a million five views and i get paid two grand a month from it it's yeah like, what the heck that sounds awesome i'd yeah. love to get paid for yeah, the stupid awesome. projects that i do that <laughs> sounds awesome yeah because i end up spending way more money than necessary because it's like well wasn't the right size of that but like i'm just gonna hang on to it yeah like, that's every project yeah man no so tell us about the fly okay the fly so technically there's two of them um one of them is called so like you have one with a lead eye that's going to sink a lot faster okay and then you have one that's still subsurface but it's a slow sink it's more of a finesse approach okay so that one's called the pop shed um there's actually a new rendition of it coming out for next spring so spring 24 so right now like i know you can buy them if they're in shops the regular pop shad but like it's actually going to be updating to a newer version with a stronger hook and whatnot um just more updated to the fly that i'm actually throwing now the pop shad is the slower sinking one yes okay exactly so essentially what it is like it's um an ep brush um body essentially that's that's trimmed down on the sides and on the top and bottom to give it like the the mm. slim shad. Um, I mean, a good fly. The slim the shad. Slim shad. Slim shaddy. Slim shaddy. Heard it. I here like first, that. Folks. That's the next one. I tell you <laughs> Heard what. Heard it here, The first. other one, I really want to like invent another fly that I can call Bobo's Thumper. <laughs> Do you guys know what that is? <laughs> no idea. Bobo's Thumper. Okay, so no. this this comes from the conventional side of striper fishing. So, in the summertime. Um, when dudes are out there trolling for stripers in the super deep water, they literally, they have this box 
that's got a rubber mallet inside of it on a rotating arm. So it literally, it hits the inside of this box, like every, you know, however many rotations, like every minute. Yeah. And it's just a constant noise, but you can hear it from a mile away. It's a mallet hitting the bottom of this box and people just have them in their boats, but people swear by them during the summertime. Really? Yeah. So you can watch like, and I've never seen it work in person because I've never really seen them um, like in person, but you can watch your graph and what they say is like, you just see fish start coming up underneath your graph. Really? Yeah. The shad and the, and the stripers and whatnot. But so, yeah, if you're ever on the lake in the summertime and you're around like this just constant beating hammer noise, mm-hmm. it's probably Bobo's Thumper. Bobo's Thumper. Yeah. It's not, is it like supposed to be emulating like a drum fish? I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking, do you, do people <laughs> hear that know. and think the stripers are making that noise and everybody's confused on it? I or think some people, yeah, some people say it mimics the like sound of stripers feeding. Feeding, oh, okay. Um, but anyway... I really want to name. I would Bobo's love Thumper. Bobo's Thumper. <laughs> I would love to interview the guy who figured that out. That would be an like, interesting one. Yeah, for sure. What got you that out there on your boat? That would be a wild interview. Oh, I, I believe bet. it. Like, why in the world do you have a rubber mallet on your yeah. boat hitting the bottom of a box? He's like, Seriously, let me though. tell you that story. Yeah, yeah that me, would be. Here's how we figured. Because you know the original guy's like, I just hit the bottom of my boat a bunch of times. Totally. And fish showed up. It's yeah. like what? To be I up was, there, with- I was country stomping to a good song. Fish just started showing up. Started jumping into the boat in the yeah. live well. That'd be up there with the uh, the butt grunt of like, oh, I was the first. Yeah. I was, very, I was the first one first. to do that. I was in a tree and I grunted at a deer. Mm, yeah. Of course, walked his up actually to took me. off. I don't know if I've ever heard of the Boba's Thumper. Well, so, now we have now Bobo's we have. Thumper. Bobo. Yeah. Bobo. Bobo. Okay. Bobo. Like the, the clown. Isn't that Bobo? <laughs> you got it's, it. There's at least one clown named Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> At least one. Anyway, sorry to derail you, no, but I just good. had to make sure you knew what that was. Okay, so we got Slim Shady. Yeah. And that's going to be coming in. Boba Thumper's yeah. coming. <laughs> yeah, so two but more flies coming in. The meantime, the that's awesome. In the yeah. meantime, you can buy the Pop Shad, and yeah. then what's the other one? <laughs> so the other one's called the Good Friday. I named it that because, like, it is the spring fly. Hmm. Like, if you want to catch stripers with it, great. Good to go. But it's also, like, it's a modified clouser. So, again, mm. going back to, like, I didn't invent this fly. Gotcha. Like, I modified a clouser. Yeah. And, like, put my own spin on it. So, it's great for walleye. Um, actually, a buddy of mine just caught a limit of walleye on it, like, two days mm. ago. Really? So, great for walleye. Um, great for white bass. Like, good for just bass in general. Like, it is the springtime fly. Mm. Something that gets down deep uh, quickly, mm-hmm. like, either to the rocks or... <clears throat> like whatever just gets below piles of shad things like that gotcha. so those are the two flies those are the two good and, friday and pops shad and and the walleye they're running right now right they're, so it's early um not yet they're okay. still in deep water they're okay. fun to catch though yeah yeah you like them see i think they fight like a wet sock i think they're. Fun. i love I eating they're them. fun on a fly rod okay that's fair mostly because yeah. people don't target them on a fly rod you're so right I, I enjoy doing it yeah and then yeah, I love eating them. So, of they're course, so they're good. Yeah. They're so good. We actually, we kind of lucked into them a couple years ago mm-hmm. down at Twin Bridges or below that. Or is it above, it's above that? It's above that. And we lucked into them. Didn't That's e- the spot. Didn't even know. We were out there like, we're like, oh, maybe we're going to get into the white bass. Maybe we'll hook onto this. And we're like, all of a sudden, we start pulling them in left and right. And we're like, they do fight like a wet sock. It's like, yeah. am I hung? Am I stuck? Yep. Did it die? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's a walleye. Yeah. That you pull it up. But man, they're tasty. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. The cheek? 
Oh, so a lot of people don't, like, northerners know about that, walleye cheeks and walleye wings, but a lot of people down here do not know anything about the cheeks. It was new to me. Who Was it your papa who told us about that, or might have been your dad? I think it was my dad. Yeah. I had never cut a cheek out until, like, two years ago. Yeah. And I remember frying that up for the first time, and I was like, best part of the fish. So good. Cut the cheeks out and throw the rest of the fish away. Freshwater scallop or whatever. So for anybody listening who's never eaten a walleye cheek... Go catch a walleye yeah. sometime this spring. And then, yeah, you use your fillet knife and a spoon to cut or your thumb. Or your I think thumb. It's yeah. going to say, like, I don't even use a spoon. Like, I just, not. You cut, just cut around it, around. and then you leave some of the skin on it and fold it backwards, and you just peel you just them pop off. It out. Yeah. yeah. They'll so peel it's, right I off. mean, I don't know if a fish technically has a cheek, but it's the fish <laughs> cheek. So it's These up on do. the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's got it's the meat around it. It's like the wings. And, like, uh, I know they don't fly, but yeah, they have wings. Yeah, they call it And so... Cook, cook it like you would a scallop. And eat it's it, got the same eat kind it next of texture. to a, ste- a steak, and you got a surf and turf. Yeah, it's man. awesome. It is good stuff. It is good. All right, have we covered it? I think that's like, <clears throat> like kind of it. All right. I don't know. Like catching a striper. Like the number one thing that I kind of want to instill in this is you have to put your time in. Like sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm taking a lot of people out that they just happen to catch one on the very first time that they ever go striper fishing. And yeah. that's awesome. That's like, I wish that was the experience that everybody had. But if you are wanting to dedicate time to chase these fish, like it takes hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes days. Like I go, I go days without catching one. Like, and eventually I'll just give up and go bass fish, yeah. like to <laughs> put a fish in the boat. Yeah. But so you just got to, like, you really have to stick with it yeah. for the most part. But when you do, like, it's very rewarding. It's kind of like the musky thing, you know? Like, you catch one fish in a day, and you're like, that's it? That's like, all I need. That's all I needed. Yeah. Um, that and, like, trying to have a network of people that you're, like, fishing around relatively consistently on the lake. Like, having some other people on the lake really help. Mm. Like, for me, that's a huge aspect Just of for it. intel? <clears throat> for intel and then, like, tips on, you know, just how to be a better mm. striper fly fisherman. Like, I've been, you know, I've been fishing slash communicating with a dude who's been living out there for a long time, like, decades. Um, his name is Bruce, and he's the man. Bruce is the man. You probably... If you watched Andrew's video, yeah. like you see me meet up with him. Yeah. That's, he was on the video. Yeah. That's crucial. Okay. You got to have people like that. Like he lives on the lake. He fishes every day. Yeah. That guy is dialed in gotcha. big time. Yeah. Um, so, and so that's why like, I like to always give the credit where it's due. Yeah. Because it seems like, like, oh, you go out and catch them, don't you? And it's like, yeah, but Bruce is telling me where to go sometimes. So <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. That accelerates the, exactly. the timeline to find Yeah, it's exactly right. Or he'll tell me, like, oh, they're really good this week. Like, you need to come out. So it's like, cool. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, so anyway. Yeah. I guess that's my parting thoughts gotcha. on striper fishing. No, that's great, man. This this has been really good. It's it's definitely got me, like, pumped up to to try it. Um, I know we had kind of talked about going to do it over, like, December. and it's just, <laughs> That's right. And it just I totally forgot about it. We need to go do that. We'll do it in the spring. Okay. Yeah. We should. We we'll should. go in like April. Cause it can like again, once Bruce lets me know, like the fisher because <laughs> he'll Bruce. actually he's kind of dialed in as far as like when he starts seeing fish on top. Okay. Whenever that starts happening, like man, you can have some fun days out there. Yeah. 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 No, that sounds awesome. I would love I just can't even imagine like the feeling of 
Because I've I've never done any saltwater fishing, Kyle. I think you you have like, done a on, few times on a fly rod. It's very similar, and it's know. like just to even have the chance at getting something that's twenty pounds right on the end of a, a fly rod that's oh, yeah. gonna fight you to the death. That like, eats a tiny little like it's mm-hmm. kind of like the tarpon thing, right? Like yeah. you throw like a like a little uh, palolo worm or whatever. They're like two inches long, mm-hmm. and you're catching a hundred and sixty pound fish with that. Like, oh, what do you do with that? That's, that's crazy. That's insane. It shouldn't that that doesn't equate. In my I mind. know. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Right? Go together. But no, it's got me pumped up. I, I'd love to get out there and, and try it. Um, and and I think like these are some practical steps for. You know, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it just, like anything else, you got to just go try it. You exactly. got to go put in the time and, and yep. try to figure it out. No one's going to hand it to you. Yeah. Um, You'll be unsuccessful quite a bit. Yeah. But when you're successful, it's really cool. Yeah. And it's like nothing. I mean, you can't catch anything else in the lake on a fly rod that is the same caliber of fish. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can catch a giant flathead catfish, I guess. And yeah, but good luck catching that one of the fly rods. See, I don't think you can part. catch anything in Arkansas that's probably that caliber of a fish. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You you, you can catch a huge trout, carp, yeah. maybe or, carp, or carp, carp for fun. Yeah, I'm thinking just overall, just how difficult it is, and also just how how big they are and how yeah. aggressive they are. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different game. It's our saltwater fish. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, for sure. It gets me pumped. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Dan, thanks for having, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, um, and and just sharing your information generously and and hanging out with us for a while. It was, it yeah. was a good time, man. Definitely. Yeah. To our listeners, um, if you guys like this episode, make sure you let us know. And uh, if you want to reach out to Dan, Dan, what's the best way they they can get a hold of you? If, if they've got um, questions, or if you know, if they just want to follow up, you want them to go through us? Yeah. Don't text me. Don't. I don't know. No. Uh, You're just on hit me up. Yeah, hit me up on Instagram. Okay. Um, What's your Instagram? It is... I think it's Daniel Roberts 19 I don't know. Let me just tell you really quick. Uh, <laughs> I follow you. Don't text him, he says. Don't text Don't him. text me. <laughs> don't, uh, don't blow up the phone. There it is. There's another guy asking me about my prop again. Hey, I'm trying to sell a, a boat prop. <laughs> if you need a boat prop, hit me up. Dan's oh. got one for you. <laughs> it's uh, Dan. Don't text him. <laughs> don't text me though. <laughs> it's all lowercase, no spaces. Daniel Roberts underscore A R. There you go. For Arkansas. There you go. So that's Very it. Very nice. Um, Sweet. It's a picture of me and my dog Winston. Oh. oh, that's another thing. When you go fish, when you go striper <laughs> fish specifically, like have somebody or something with you. Like have a pet. Have a person because, like, it is so lonely. Yeah. It's the loneliest day. <laughs> Need it's, a buddy. It's the system of a down loneliest day of your life. Gotcha. Uh, so, anyway. Take someone or something. <laughs> Have a living being with you that can keep your spirits up. Catch a crappie, put it in the live well. God, that's the truth. Like, and just fish. Like, when you're not it. catching them, just go to the bank and catch something. Yeah. Yeah. You'll Na- have fun. Name the crappie. Befriend the crappie. Befriend the crappie. Yeah. Take it home. Anyway, you were you were sending us out. Anyways, we're gonna we're gonna send this out. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. To our listeners, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you let us know by leaving a rating or review, and we'll see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, 
head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkins. And, of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. Now, sit back and enjoy his song, American Millionaire. I'm on the road. But you know I'll be an American millionaire.